Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I've always built businesses for cash flow. I've sold many businesses. I've sold multiple businesses for, you know, over seven figures. I would rather that than try to do, you know, tech business that makes zero money ever. And one day after I own 10% of it, maybe sell it for a billion dollars. What is up, everybody? This is Michael Sakond. I'm the co-founder of Our Future. I'm joined by my co-host, Simran Sandhu, and another person, Daniel Snow. A little bit of backstory. Simi and I sold our media company to Morning Brew in January. Now we have this podcast helping you understand the tips, strategies, and tactics the young entrepreneurs used to build their businesses and how you can adapt them to your own. So Daniel over here, Daniel sold multiple businesses for seven figures, whether it's in the agency space, the e-commerce space, or in the media industry. Um, probably his biggest, most well-known brand is Rap TV. Uh, it's a c- conglomeration of media pages on Instagram, uh, with over 45 million followers. So Daniel, super excited to get into your story. It's uh, a crazy kind of uh, mogul situation you put yourself into. So excited to get started. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me guys. I feel like you went into media, you did your agencies and all of them were tremendously successful. So I guess just kind of going from the start, it sounds like big social media pages in running those, including what now has become rap TV has become a huge hit, right? Like you found your niche and you were able to do something really, really big with it. So how did you fall into the rap TV world? How did it become this icon within the rap community? And then how did you build a company around it? Yeah. So prior to creating rap TV, I was, uh, creating, I was, not just creating audiences on social media, but yeah. creating businesses also on social media for five years. So I had seen many different aspects of how to grow an audience, how to monetize that audience, how to build community, different growth tactics, so forth. So I was able to, to, to really see, um, number one, what kind of company that I wanted to build. Um, I was interested in building, not just, you know, cause there's a lot of people, a lot, a lot, a, there's a lot of, audiences on social media that, um, that are niche, but necessarily aren't building a brand. And I was interested in building an actual brand that had equity that the community actually cared about, et cetera. And I essentially just saw white space, you know, um, there in the sense that from my perspective there as a consumer and as a big fan of rap and hip hop, there was just no audio, there, there was no social first brand that was 
talking about rap on a daily yeah. basis. Just keep the rap fan up to date with with what's going on in the rap world. Right. And there's what just do we so have like going on. Well, you that? had like you have XXL magazine, right? You have Complex. Um, I think Vice was pretty hip hop and like hip back in the day. But you're right; so, like none of those brands were focused on being social first. And there's so many media companies that started being like, why on earth were the legacy media companies so slow to get onto social, right? So like. You could look at Overdrive for like sports media or like a Bleacher Report or something along those lines, right? For you, it's it's Rap TV. Yeah. So also, even the complexes of the world and, and XXL, when I had created Rap TV, they weren't they were maybe on their website, talk, uh, you know, obviously going over rap news and content about rap, editorial, video content, all that. But how they were interfacing on social media was completely different. And they weren't really bringing that to their socials. So that, that was the interesting thing. And, um, and yeah, I mean, as, as you see, you know, people don't want to necessarily go to a website to consume their news on a daily basis. Like people are live, you know, people are spending hours a day on social media. Um, so that, that's just kind of like where I, where I saw it evolving and, and no one was taking advantage of it at the time. Now, obviously a lot of people are, but at the time they weren't, and that's why I think we had we were able to have first movers advantage. Now that we have the biggest audience in the in the rap space, um, even though it's not you know even though the, some like you mentioned complex XSL, et cetera. How big is it? How how big is the audience? Like give us give us like a three thousand foot view into kind of not only like the size of Rap TV's audience, but all the other domains you own. And by domain, I mean Instagram handles. Yeah, so. Rap TV specifically, um, just the rap brand. Um, on Instagram, we have close to 10, 12 million followers. We also have a few other rap brands that are under the Rap TV umbrella, specifically on Instagram. So we have bars that I believe is 1.8 million concerts, which is rap concerts and other kind of genres as well. Now it has 500,000. Drip, which is kind of like the fashion behind the rap culture, has 500,000 followers. We have Controller, which is you a gaming controller. brand. Yeah, yeah. Has, I think 1.1 million. We mm -hmm. started uh, a reggaeton brand that has close to 600,000 followers on Instagram. Um, we have a pop brand that has, I think, 600,000 followers on Instagram. And uh, yeah, then you know, obviously, these brands also live on TikTok and YouTube and Twitter newsletters. Um, not as active on the website currently, just in terms of prioritization, but, um, uh, across, so then across the whole umbrella, there is close to 45 million, million followers on, across all the different social platforms. That's crazy. If you really think about it, I mean, I feel like you were early to, to come into the social space and you dominated. Right. And so like, if you had to recreate that audience of 45 million people, probably way harder to do now that like, to your point, these platforms are now saturated, you know, much more mature audiences, but what was your wedge into it, right? Like there's 20 different ways on how you can go build a media company. So like you saw this white space. So what were like the next four or five tactical steps you did to like actually cement a brand for yourself? Yeah. So the first thing was I definitely had a competitive advantage when I started it because I already had a few million followers on Instagram in a similar, similar audience. Sweet. So I was able to send a lot of our followers to the rap brand when we started it. Um, 
And because I already had these other large accounts, I was able to do cross promotions with other brands and so forth. So was definitely able to, to, to get a lot of, you know, free promotion, so to speak, to the rap brand once it started. That was obviously a big hack. I also, in the early days, it's so like 2016, 2017, invested a lot of money into growing it. So invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into just promoting the, at the time, just Instagram. Um, you know, paying various accounts and whatnot to, to, to shout it out, um, different content, so to speak. Um, and then once we were able to, to really get momentum, um, the focus for me was twofold to build a community of, of, uh, that, you know, had an, our audience actually cared about and, uh, and people were having conversation, not just, you know, liking, et cetera. So that was the, the one priority. And the second one was becoming an actual authority. Right, because yeah. we came out of nowhere, kinda, and unless um, we're seen, we're seen as an authority, not just by our our audience, but the other players in the space, meaning like the rappers, the record labels, etc. Um, then it wouldn't be the type of brand um, that you know commands a premium, so to speak. So that was the focus, and that was what we did early on, just interacting with 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 you know the rappers in the space, personalities, etc. And just doing that over six, seven years compounds. And yeah. there was never, there was never, people always ask like, oh, what's the, you know, the one growth hack, what was the thing that changed? Like, it was just consistency every day doing that playbook for seven years, you know? I, I um, don't know, I don't know the Instagram static game well, right? Like you didn't grow up on reels, like you built this brand through carousels, right? And, and static posts. And that was kind of the prevailing format on Instagram for the longest time. Like no one give a fuck about video until like very recently, I feel like the past few years, right? So it was all kind of like these like, you know, bright text, cool image, um, you know, talking about a news story or something. How do you monetize that? Because like with us, with our videos, it would be like, we kind of do a branded story for a company and then plug them at the end. You know, how do you, what are the creative formats for driving advertiser value uh, for a, a page like Rap? So in terms of the, the, the formats or how, how, what kind of advertisers were working? Yeah. With? Like how yeah, did both. you think about monetization? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Social media is, is really where artists um, <clears throat> are able to, to get awareness for their music, for their shows for, you know, I mean, the interesting thing about rap music specifically, and even these other genres is like, it's not just the music component. It's interesting because it's also the person, the personalities themselves. So yeah. a lot of them want, a lot, you know, artists in general want promotion and unlike yeah. other brand, unlike other industries like consumer brands, et cetera, you know, I don't think artists are interested in necessarily going the avenue of like Facebook ads just to, to, to highlight, you know, like yeah. them going on a, you know, making it something up the Jimmy Fallon show or something like that. It would be a little off brand. So leaning on, you know, the, uh, curator, so to speak, uh, and the people who are, who 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 are, understand kind of what the consumer is interested in has you know has worked. And then obviously now there's just tons of brands that that want to tap in to these different audiences that we've created these niche audiences. So it's really twofold. Um, What's a good example of a brand that wants to spend with Rap TV? Spotify. We've done obviously a number of deals with them, and that obviously yeah. is a super nice. easy one. We've worked, we've done, uh, work with Chipotle, um, a bunch VH one. We, we've, we've done a ton of work with BT, um, 
for, totally. va- for, for, for various shows they're putting out for their, um, um, for the BET awards. So I would say those, those uh, that's kind of an example. And, um, now starting to open that up and say, you know, other, other things that make sense for us is like going after food brands. Right. Um, cause it's not, like I said, like, rap, rap started as just post amount music, but it's evolved into the culture behind it as well, which opens up the avenues for so many different things. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we're talking about and obviously then getting advertisers involved. So, yeah. Well, I think the monetization around brands makes sense, right? Traditional media playbook. The thing we need to give credence to is around like artists themselves, right? So it is building a fandom and community around these artists. So are there any big name people now, which you guys actually broke out on rap TV in the earlier days? Like, I don't know, like a Jack Harlow or something where it's like rap TV was actually the one that gave them their first shot. Well, it's funny you say Jack Harlow because I do have a funny story about that one. All right, hit um, us with it. Um, so my team just really liked him when he had like 20,000 followers on Instagram and they would post his freestyles and uh, I'm like, why do you guys keep keep po- posting this guy? Like, I, I don't <laughs> get it. I don't see it at all. Like like and, skinny uh, white guy, like, yeah. it's like yeah. he's, he's trying to be like little dicky, like what the hell yeah. is this guy doing? <laughs> it was when he didn't look like the Jack Harlow today, you know, like before he had the glow up too. Yeah. So I was like, what what are you guys doing? Like I don't understand this. And yeah, our our team got like went to all his early shows, posted him a bunch for free, did a lot of promotion. Um and our team was even really involved in um even the, the early rollout of what's popping, which was obviously what really blew him up yeah. and um, definitely not taking all the credit for it, but his, it's cool. His label did give us a plaque for, for the, for the, the cool. what's thing, you know, a little like that's fire respect for that. Um, other artists that we were really involved with from just their early, early days, the kid Leroy, we definitely showed a ton of love to, we did a lot of work with him. Um, uh, Corday as well, definitely. You know, we we worked we worked a ton with each other and definitely showed a lot a lot of like mutual mutual love. Um, yeah, th- those were those were ones that 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 come to mind. But it's crazy now seeing it from my side of like these artists, these people that just you know the 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 rise to stardom, how fast it can be, and now they're not just artists; they're freaking cult- cultural phenomenas you know like jack harlow is, is everywhere and only yeah. just two years ago he you know i was asking my team why, why are you guys posting this guy so <laughs> it's been it's been crazy yeah now he's like daniel what's popping like yeah. life is good I over like, here i like a new, new, new lens on like yeah you you truly never know um who, who's going to become the next star you know yeah well i think yeah. with music like distribution's so fucking hard like yeah. especially today um, so I went to Michigan and in my college dorm, it was funny cause people like, uh, joke about us being on the same hall. I mean, he's like a celebrity now, like, uh, his name's Ari Elkins and he curates, he's like, have you heard, do you like this song? You'll love this song. Right. And he's essentially like his own little music distribution, TikToker with millions of followers. And he's able to drive meaningful, uh, downloads and traffic to new music and helps people discover new music. It's so hard to get discovered. Podcasting's the same. 
But music is so tough. And to build a channel of distribution in an industry where distribution is very difficult is super valuable. Because like the way I saw us building our future was there isn't actually many good advertising channels on social for new companies, startups, uh, software products, et cetera, right? And if we could build a storytelling engine for companies like that, we'd always have advertisers like willing to pay. Right. So, so that's how we thought about creating a distribution channel. Like, what are you, how are you going to distribute like your, your company's story? Like you can pray you're going to get in Forbes. You can pray you're going to get an insider and they pick you up and think your shit's cool enough for TechCrunch. Um, or you can try and go on product hunt, but there's still like so few ways to like blow up and get distributed. So if you own, you own the microphone, right? You're the kingmaker. And I think that's what I love so much about media is like content is king, uh, curation is queen, and audience is the throne. And if you have all three, you're a monarch. Totally. <laughs> I, like, I like how you put that. Yeah. Other thing is I've realized is that like, I think where the, 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 the value in audience is, is really being niche. Because try, like having too generalized of an audience, it's now with how low the, the, the bar to entry is for building an audience, it's it's hard to to get the type of premium that you know a lot of these niche audiences are getting to work to work with advertisers. Right. So that's the thing I think of I think I think as well that not like people are thinking about early on as much as like trying to really focus on understanding who your who your who your audience is and tailoring to that. So that was the other thing I think that like early on, um, really trying to make an effort out of, which is why, you know, it went from just the rap account to these other niche communities specific to the other interests around the genre of music. Um, can, can we talk M and a and Instagram pages? Like I know Daquan might've been acquired. Wasn't it acquired for like a hundred million or something? Am I, am I, is that cap? Oh, um, so their whole company was acquired, I think for $80 million. It wasn't it's just this. Yeah. I, I think a lot, I think it was like, Maybe all cash too, something along. I don't know if wow. yeah, something along those lines. I don't know the exact details, but it wasn't just the Instagram. It was, you know, a, they had different websites, and I had, they had a pretty robust um, portfolio of Snapchat. I know shows. They had a bunch of Instagrams, so uh, the whole kind of portfolio was was sold for that. Daquan was yeah. probably the biggest brand they had though. You know, I've always thought that the highest leverage opportunity in media is actually not advertising, right? Like you hear these analogies about how Flying Magazine has made money through real estate. Uh, Freight Waves is making money through like being a, a pure play software company. Um, you're around a lot of like important influential people. Did you actually extend that beyond the advertising play? Like were you like buying up like, I don't know, record labels or trying to do things or you know, like other, other opportunities that could create a shit ton of cash flow for you. So rap TV hasn't done any acquisitions. Um, I think that also the important thing is I, I was never full time running rap TV. Really. I, I was running a portfolio of consumer brands. I was running the agency, sold both of those. And now there's a CEO in place of rap TV. So the kind of like infrastructure of rap TV wasn't like, at the extent that was needed to be able to build this M&A model and whatnot. There's definitely an opportunity to do that. Um, but anyways, the, uh, I'd say the focus now for the CEO in place, Adam, has really been getting 
you know, professionalizing the company, putting process in place um, so that you're able to take on these other opportunities and whatnot. But being in a great company is, is a ton of freaking work. And unless yeah. your organization yeah. is really buttoned up, it's just going to become a disaster. So, um, yeah, there's definitely been no discussions around that. The, 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 I think the, the focus is still like professionalizing, implementing structure and, um, and, and whatnot. Um, because it was, you know, I, I rap TV was always a thing on the, on the side. Um, when I started, it was like a side project really more than anything. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like we've had a conversation in the past and you were telling me you're doing this e-com stuff. You were doing this agency, you're doing rap TV. And a big thing that we talk a lot about on the show is how important focus is, right? It's probably almost like an overplayed narrative or a cliche at this point. Everyone is like, you need to focus, right? But you're one of the people I can definitively point to and say, hey, Daniel may not have focus, but he has crushed it in every industry he's touched in. So what is your thesis around that? Like, do you have any guiding philosophies or frameworks where it's just like, hey, I know I can't go, you know, too far out of the bounds. Like this has to still touch my skill set or maybe like my degree of or area of competence. But how have you thought about that generally? I think that if my circumstance is, is very unique um, and I can get into the details of, if you want of like how, why, because it doesn't make sense, right? Why, why I'm running an agency, a, you know, a media brand, a portfolio of brands at the same time. Obviously yeah. I have a real estate portfolio. I have all, oh, so much shit. So it's like it, when you just look at it, like on paper, it, it doesn't make sense. But like when I take it through the story, it kind of makes sense. But anyways, the, the point I'm trying to get to is that I think that I agree that it is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly hard to, uh, to manage multiple companies at once. And if you're not all in on one thing, then you're probably doing both comp or all your, all your projects, uh, a disservice, unless you have leadership in place, you know, unless the companies are big enough where you can have a great CEO in place to run the company or a great leadership team in place, trying to be the, 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 the um, trying to be the CEO of multiple companies at once or trying to do too many things at once is just a recipe for disaster. I was able to make it work over my career, but at the same time, it's like I had relative success um, in all these ventures, but like, who knows, could all, could all of them been much bigger if I was focused on, on one? Um, maybe, but um, I could definitely say from an operating standpoint that it was very hard for me to be focused and wake up every day with like a with, with under, truly understanding what my day needs to look like because I was getting pulled in so many different directions. My brain it has to like turn on and off at so many different different times. So yeah, I mean it. I made it work, but I definitely wouldn't recommend it for sure, especially anyone in the early days because I think now it's I think now it's it's glorified of of like having you know people love the seven sources of income and running multiple companies at once yeah. and whatnot. And, you know, looking back on looking back for me, I wouldn't change anything necessarily, but I'm like, it's definitely not the best way to have cause success. Um, I would say it's the best way to, to potentially not have success because, um, you're not being able to, to put all of your energy into one source and one area of expertise. Um, mm -hmm. It, it made you know I, it worked out for me, but uh, that's kind of like my reflection Let, on it. Let's talk like your e-commerce side of things, right? So we understand the media business. 
what are some of the most successful products that you either own or have built and sold um, in the e-commerce world? Yeah, so um, a brand that I founded, a uh, shapewear brand, are called The Perfect Sculpt. We founded it in 27, February 2017. We ended up selling it, um, I think it was like August of 2019. And um, yeah, it was just like meteoric, meteoric success from like day one. Um, our first year, we did $25 million in revenue. Um, yeah, in, it was insane. It was in, oh, more insane because <laughs> we, were, we were doing all of the fulfillment at the same time. We had uh, a fat. We were doing Dude. all the fulfillment in house, and it was the worst idea I ever made. But <laughs> do you know the Do you know the Fashion Nova guy by any chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a crazy story. That was all like Instagram. Yeah, like he built the, the Instagram's clothing store, right? Of like very you know viral clothing items and very you know voluptuous models and such and very kind of more entrenched in the hip hop side of things as well. And that yeah. Kind of yeah. Culture. Like Cardi B was like his big, big artist that like, totally. you know, Hun- yeah, he bought a hundred million dollar crib. Yeah. I think he bought the one, he bought the one mansion in LA hundred million dollar crib and a $50 million crib a few miles down the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, in, 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 the, in the early days. So my first, my first consumer brand that really took off, um, was a company called goat case. It was like the phone cases that like stick to, you know, glass and wood and all these different things. And we really had this, it was essentially a hundred percent influencer marketing, UGC, et cetera. And we had a whole team essentially doing a hundred campaigns a day with influencers and, and theme page owners and whatnot. So I actually met Richard that in 2016, I think he hit me up on LinkedIn or something like that. Cause he saw that we were doing this, all this crazy, you know, influencer marketing and whatnot. And we, we actually shared a lot of notes on like people we were using and whatnot, but it just shows, it goes to show you like one, one business was compounding because it was, it, it was, uh, um, just a model that customers would return. And for us, it's not like we were necessarily doing worse marketing, but it was a, a product or brand that didn't have longevity, right? People are only going to buy cell phones that stick to shit for, for so long. Um, so we weren't able to get the LTV, even though like our revenues early on were pretty incredible. Um, and then still using that, that system for future brands like the perfect sculpt and even ones after. Yeah. But, uh, it just was like an eye opener for me is like how important what you're, what you're selling is, um, because you could be doing the best marketing in the world, but if you're not building a sustainable business, it's like, you know, you, you sure you can make some money, but you're not, you know, buying a hundred million dollar house. So, um, that was kind of like something, some, so, something I realized, um, from just like having a business that's able to compound based on what you're selling. And how old are you now? I turned 30 in May. Okay. So 30 years old, you have so many different businesses. Can you break down, like, you don't need to go into numbers, but like break down like your businesses and like where you get a majority of your income or something like that, right? Like, so you have Rap TV um, and you have uh, agency, you have real estate. Like, can you just walk us through your various like cash flowing uh, companies and assets? And you yeah, exited so, the agency, right? Yeah. So I, I sold the agency in February. 
So I'm not involved anymore. Rap TV, I'm no longer the CEO, so I'm not spending any time there. Real estate, I'm actually selling. I've sold like 40% of my portfolio in the last few months. So I'm essentially now really try I have a also a consumer brand that I founded called Clora, but it's not really cash flowing too much at this point. We're we're still What is that? Going. What is Clora? It's a gut health brand. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty pretty in vogue these days. Yeah. Um so uh yeah, I mean honestly now it's like for the for the first time in my life I had all these different you know avenues of, of income. Um and I'm kind of just moving a lot off my plate to now like think about what I want to do, creating space for myself to think about what I want to do in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I could tell you maybe, maybe a year, maybe two years ago, it looked a lot different. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, right? Like, you know, we were talking about this before we hopped on this interview, right? Which is, it's so important to understand like the rooms you want to play in. And the reason being is that like, again, if you have a mediocre idea and you, you know, execute really, really well, that may not necessarily be, you know, as fruitful than just playing in a great space, right? Where it's like, even just doing, you know, things on a mediocre level, right? Like mediocre level execution can yield a much bigger financial outcome. And having the ability to take those breaks where you can remove yourself, right, from working and intentionally figure out where is it that you want to spend your time on is so important, right? So yeah. this is from what it sounds like to me is kind of like those exploration moments where it's like, you know, I've touched a lot of these different industries. I've tried a lot of different business models. But what is that next opportunity that is actually worth my time, energy, investment, money, all of that stuff? Exactly. And it just goes back to what, we were, to what we were talking about earlier, which is focus. And like, I've realized how in the past I wasn't as focused as I thought I was. And that's why I'm clearing a lot of stuff off my plate. Like even real estate, I had a $15 million real estate portfolio of just a bunch of residential and, uh, some, some commercial. And, uh, I realized I'm like, you know, I started buying those when I was 22. I'm 30 now, like I mentioned. And um, it's like, this is just a waste of my time. Like, it is just not, like, it's not going to move the needle for me at this point in my life. The income is, after all, you know, tenants not paying and you have to, yeah, I have yeah. to pay my property, property manager, always pay for shit breaking. I'm like, I'm not actually cash flowing that mm -hmm. all that much. So it is just not worth these headaches, you know, I, I, like, for example, like when I was running my businesses and like, I have to deal with, even though I have a property manager, shit still comes to me. Totally, it's like, yeah. I don't, I don't even want to think about this. You know, I don't yeah. even want to, it's not even worth it taking any, any space in my brain at all. Cause I still have to turn on and off, you know? Um, and that's kind of like now when, as I start thinking about the next venture that I, that I want to build or buy whatever I'm going to do is being able to go into it and give it a hundred percent focus. And I think it's like, if you look at really anyone that's created anything truly meaningful, they were fully all in and, um, mm -hmm. except for, you know, Elon Musk, but, uh, I'm not Elon Musk. He is so, an uh, for sure. Yeah. So your whole, yeah. your whole opinion, your whole opinion is like, you started, you know, you did so many different things at the same time. You did that, like multiple, like kind of holding company type type vibe. 
And now you're like, okay, why don't I go all in on something, put all my energy into like one thing. Is that kind of how you're thinking about it? It's like, yeah, exactly. I read, um, I read Steven Schwartzman's biography, founder of Blackstone. And like yeah. what really resonated with me was like, you know, he said, one of my favorite you know, books ever. Big, Such, yeah. So yeah. Big goals and uh, small goals are equally hard yeah. to achieve. Right. So you might as well shoot for the moon. Yeah. yeah. I think, it, yeah. And it's like, I think it's like something all in numbers. It's like creating a, you know, or for him, maybe it was like managing a $50 million portfolio and making up numbers is just the same amount of work as managing a million dollar portfolio or whatever it is. Um, and the same is the same thing is in business. In fact, I think it's much harder to manage a smaller business, you know, in terms of just one or two people, cause you're doing a lot, you're just doing a lot more work. Um, each has their own nuances and whatnot, totally. but yeah, totally. It's like, I, I, at this point in my life, I want to be able to be fully focused, go all in on one thing. And, um, and yeah, I just now have to figure think, out what, what that's what, going to what be. What Bezos said when he was running Amazon, he was like, I, my goal is just to make one quality decision a day. And I was like, holy fuck, that's crazy, right? Like, like you'd think well, that there's no, a million decisions. It, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like Michael Bloomberg also talks about this, right? And we're just on this little uh, list of naming titans. But, um, sure. you know, he, he talks a lot about like, you don't need an end plan in mind, right? Like all you need to do is figure out like what the next two, two or three steps are. And that's all you need to worry about, right? Because like the path is going to change. So again, like I think it's cool because you've had the ability to experience a bunch of different things. And candidly, like that's one of my biggest fears is like, you know, I think to myself, I've gotten too deep in media and marketing and I have this big like, man, I should really be trying a bunch of different things right now because life is long and that like, I don't want to do a disservice to myself by picking the wrong like room or opportunity um, when I could be doing something that I'm even better at. So, you know, is it one of those things where maybe like, it's not such a bad thing that you did spend a bunch of time doing a bunch of different opportunities because now you know what you're really good at, what you enjoy doing and you can pursue it all in. I mean, totally. I, I, I don't think it was bad. I mean, once again, it's like where I'm at today in life, I, I'm, you know, I feel incredibly blessed and grateful. And I think it's just me being able to, I think me, the, the real recipe for that is because I have had such deep experience in multiple industries that it's allowed me to understand when to take an opportunity and when not to. It's allowed me to see white space in, in different industries that and, and make that, and, you know, being able, being able to make that decision. It's allowed me to pivot and adapt my businesses over time. That's why I've, I've you know, been involved in so many different businesses. So I think that, the, the, you know, when you're in the arena, so to speak, yeah. it allows you, it just it allows you to, 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 to see opportunity and. Mm -hmm. You know, even now where I'm at now in life, it's like I, in the back of my head, that's like truly my one fear because I'm like being out of it. I'm not seeing those opportunities on a day to day basis. And there's also hesitancy. It's like, oh, should I should I should I take that leap? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely it's like I wouldn't change anything, but it's more of like, a, oh, you know, I, I just I'm not saying that like following my um my kind of like uh, track record, my, my, my history of doing so many different stuff. And we didn't even, I didn't, we didn't even discuss, I was, I've also done like apps and content blogs. I had a 
self-serve ad platform. I just, I've done a ton of different stuff in the online space. And um, I think that's what allowed me to be successful. But I just, I'm not saying that like I'm successful because I've done so many different stuff, you know? So what does opportunity Our look like to you now, right? Like, so, you know, clearly there's usually an art to it, right? Like it's, you know, you need to feel good about something. You have to have a competency in it. You have to be able to enjoy wanting to do this for a really long time, but like you've tried your hands at a lot of different things. So what would that next box or criteria of things, uh, would an opportunity need to hit for it to be worth your time? So that's what I'm really trying to figure out, to be honest. And that's why I, I don't, I, I don't know what industry I want to work in. I don't know if I want to buy a business, build a business from scratch again. Um, because there's so much work that, is involved taking a business from zero to one. But the thing that, you know, everyone has different skill sets. Taking a business from zero to one is a much different skill set from taking it from, you know, one to five or five to 10, whatever. For sure. And the thing is, is that like, I know my greatest strength is taking businesses from zero to one. Um, you know, I've, oh, I've done that my whole career. I'm very good at doing that. I'm not, the, the you know, necessarily the best at, putting the processes in place and, and whatnot. So that, that becomes the problem for me now is like, I, you know, my, my greatest strength is the startup, um, atmosphere, you know, taking it from zero to one, but it's also just the most stressful. It's also the most risky. It's also like I could be building something and putting all my time in, into something to get literally no reward. So, um, but yeah, it's more so like, you know, I think we were talking about this before. It's if I think before I've worked throughout my career in seeing work as a means to, um, as a means to number one, um, finance, you know, financial freedom for sure. Like I was definitely sure. working, trying to hustle, make money. Um, and, uh, that, and, and grow as well, grow my professional skill set and, and personal at the, at the same time. That's why like, agency was interesting to me. I wanted to build a people organization. I thought that's what I wanted. And being challenged in all these different things. I think for me now, it's like I'm looking at my whatever I do next as wanting to find purpose from it. And obviously yeah. be successful at it at the same time. Um, but I think find purpose and also be challenged um, and, and really enjoy what I'm doing. So – what industry is that going to be in? I don't know. I mean, I, I have so many, you know, battle scars from working in the online and social media space over the last. Well, yeah, month. that's what I was going to ask you. Are you disillusioned on the space? Because like media companies don't get great multiples. Like yeah. me and Simi exited for that exact reason. It was like, why spend another five years? And then it was like, um, you know, e-commerce businesses don't get great multiples, right? It's like online stuff, like marketing plays when you're just kind of building on top of social media platforms and stuff. Like they're capped. Right. Yeah. And obviously there's outliers. I don't, I don't want to generalize here. Totally. Like you can build massive businesses, but the kind of like billionaire sent a millionaire wealth, I feel like lies in industries that aren't at the fingertips of the e-com bros and the TikTok guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I think that it's just, it's the barrier to entry online is what makes it really interesting and compelling yeah. for young people like ourselves who Cause you can take it to zero to one. So fucking fast. You can take it to zero to one and you can make money without much, if any resources, right? right. I started at sure. 19 years old 
literally not having any fucking money at all. And obviously, I, I'm, I, you know, created something meaningful for myself. Um, so, offline industries are interesting to me for that reason because they should be a lot more predictable. And, but then once again, it's like I, I know I am, I, I, I like obviously I've, I've developed a lot of skills in the online space, um, and that I have obviously a lot of spe- uh, specialty. But it's, you know, just like we mentioned, I have those battle scars. It's like, it's just, you know, things are changing. You have to adapt. It's freaking stressful. You're always worrying about, is my business going to survive each, each and every day? There's just all these unpredictable components to it, which, you know, we still, the algorithms could change. Something could change. Something could, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, but anyways, to, to take it back a step, to respond to what you said. I've always built businesses for cash flow, and that's taken me to where I'm at today in life. Where I've sold many businesses, I've sold multiple businesses for you know over seven figures. Um, but it, it, I, I, I think for me that model has you know that like being able to compound, make money each and every year, and be able to invest it, live a life, etc. I would rather that than try to do, you know, the, the, at least the romanticized idea of like, oh, I'll build a tech businesses, tech business that makes zero money ever. And one day after I own 10% of it, maybe sell it for a billion dollars. Like maybe, maybe, right? Like yeah. I would rather the cash flow model and get a lower multiple at the end of it than the, um, than, than the latter of what I just described. Yeah. So, um, like, yeah, like, honestly, for me, like, that moonshot, moonshot concept, uh, being just, ra- being, uh, just rationalizing for myself, it's like, that so, such rarely, rarely, rarely ever freaking works, um, when it does, obviously, it's incredible, but, uh, for me, the risk is, is, is just far out, outweighs the reward in that component. And I would just rather build businesses that, you know, like we're, we're just got like a media business that can make money, an e-commerce business yeah, that can make money. Yeah. And maybe not instead of, you know, 30X, 40X multiple, you get, you know, I don't know, three, three to 10X, three to 15, whatever. Is so, there anything with white space where like a young person listening to this show could go jump on? Where it's like, you know, Daniel, clearly smart guy, like probably you know, good enough idea to go pursue anything in that realm that you would go recommend? Um, I mean, I think, I think the, the one frustration I have, I would say is uh, not even the white space, but I think this is a lot of thing that, that I, I have a different point of view on a lot of what I, maybe what a lot of others say. It's like, I see a lot of, and I don't understand this point of view at all. It's like a lot of people in the early days, people say, Oh, you know, go start an agency and figure it out for there or some shit I see online a lot. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, like if I were to do it again, because I get I get people that that that, you know, um always ask me this, and I, I think what my answer would be would be to try and work for someone. Um, you know, this is early on before you have your own skill sets and whatnot, that you can develop those skill sets in a lot faster fashion. Um, you can see what an, what a professional organization looks like early on and be able to take that. You can see what it's like to work in a culture that people want to work in. 
And all the things I'm mentioning now were the things later in life, well, not things early, the things that took me a really fucking long time to understand um, and do because I never had a model of something I can replicate. I was always trying to just figure it out on my own. Um, so like the marketing, the this, that, like I was always amazing at, but being able to build an organization, being able to understand how culture works in, you know, in a company, being able to have great process and organization and, man, you know, managerial styles in place. We were I talking that, about this recently. It's like harder to build a good culture than it is to build a big business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so for me, I think it's like, I think that like, and once again, I'm not saying I, I like my life, I should have, I should have gone to work for some of those things. I, I, I obviously worked out fine, but like, I think that if I had, it would have helped me out a lot in the rest of my businesses throughout my career. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, I actually asked this question to a group of my entrepreneur friends the other day, cause I had a friend come to me and ask this question. And I think that the, the, the general, um, consensus was that copywriting in today's day and age is the most valuable skill set you can have. So being able to really develop those skills can be utilized in so many different ways, whether that is doing, you know, ghostwriting as a service, doing email marketing as a service, writing content as a service, even writing scripts, being able to, to develop your own personal brand. So, um, and I think that's like if an early, uh, for someone that's young, that doesn't really know what they want to do yet. I think that being able to really go all in and understand it and, and, and trying to develop those skills will give you a lot of leverage into doing so many different things um, in the online space. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your time. It was an awesome yeah. episode. Uh, for everyone watching, make sure to subscribe on YouTube to our, our future podcast, number one entrepreneurship podcast for young people. And we love doing these interviews. We're going to incorporate them a little bit more going forward. But yeah, Daniel, thanks so much for your time and excited to, to see how your journey progresses. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun, fun chatting. All right. Stay frosty.